Uh, if you have a Bible, open with me to the book of Jonah. Jonah. We're going to start in chapter 1, verse 1. And I'm going to dive right in. We've got a lot to cover this morning. This is a great book, a powerful book. It's, it's always fun to start a new series and get into something new from the Word of God. Taking a break from our extended series in the Gospel of Luke uh, to, and no pun intended, to dive into this book, right? I mean, that literally, that literally just came to me. I mean, can you believe it? Jonah 1, verse 1. You know, and I think I, I should have this behind me, but I'm just realizing it, there's a chance that that could be a slightly different version that I'm reading, but you can still follow along. I'm going to read from the ESV version. Scripture says this. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of, the son of Amittai. And, and the word of the Lord said this. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah, instead, he rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship there going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. But in verse 4, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. And then the mariners were afraid and each one cried out to his God. And they even hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, verse 6, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Verse 7, it says, They said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. And so they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What, What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? What people are you from? Jonah said to them, I am a Hebrew. And I feared the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. And then they said to him, What shall we do to you, that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. And yet nevertheless, in verse 13, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they couldn't. Because the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. And so they called out to the Lord. They called out to Yahweh, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. And lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleases you. And so finally they picked Jonah up and they hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased immediately from its raging. The men feared the Lord exceedingly. They offered sacrifice to the Lord. They made vows to the Lord. And then verse 17, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. God, we confess this is a mysterious book. And God, I pray that you would teach us this morning about your mercy, about your grace, about your pursuit of us. God, we're thankful for it. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
you know, I think many of us approach this book, the book of Jonah, um, this, very, this very complex, this very complicated book. We approach this book with too much simplicity. Oh, look at that. Many of us reduce this story. As you read this story, we just went through chapter 1, but as you read this story of a, of a rebellious prophet whose, whose disobedience reveals his, his nationalism, it reveals maybe his racism, his hatred towards the inhabitants of this neighboring country, whose disobedience becomes life-threatening to those around him, and who, who in an, an attempted suicide offers himself to be thrown overboard in this violent storm only to survive by being swallowed up by this terrifying sea creature. And, and we haven't even mentioned how this unthinkable brutality of the Assyrians to whom he was called. We reduce this story to a children's bedtime story. It's shocking. I, I pulled up a, when I would search Jonah on the computer this week, here's, here's one of the images I found. It's, we tell this story, right? It doesn't seem to bear any resemblance to the story that we just read. I, I can't imagine anything more terrifying than painting this on my newborn's walls. I may have another picture here. Let's see what, what else we got. Isn't that cute? It's Jonah and his pet whale. Isn't this great? This is going to be a good story. I even found a little toy here that, that kids can play with. It's just so cute, right? It's so sweet. This is a terrifying story. This is a terrifying story for, for Jonah. It's a terrifying story for us. It makes no sense that we've reduced it to what we have reduced it to. And I'm afraid in doing so, um, this story may have actually lost some of its power to us. And so I pray that God would speak to us this morning through it. The story of Jonah is, uh, is really unlike any of the other stories of the prophets in the Old Testament. This, this book of Jonah is included in the list of Old Testament prophetic books, um, but unlike all the others, Jonah's book doesn't really deal at all, and we'll get into this in the coming weeks, the book of Jonah doesn't deal primarily with Jonah's message to this foreign people. The book of Jonah really is primarily about Jonah. It's about Jonah's disobedience. It's about God's mercy to this rebellious prophet. In fact, everything that happens in this book, as we'll see, everything that happens in this book is really the exact opposite of what we would expect to happen when reading a book of Old Testament prophecy. We see that it's actually the prophet who rebels. It's the pagan sailors who have soft hearts and who repent. It's the powerful king who humbles himself before the Lord. And and as a result of God's overwhelming mercy, as a result of of Jonah's success in his mission, he wishes he were dead. We would have never expected this. So let's jump right in. What do we know about this disobedient prophet? He's, He's actually only mentioned, Jonah's only mentioned one other time in the Old Testament, in the book of 2 Kings in chapter 14. And ironically, um, he's, he's mentioned as a prophet who delivered a message of God's mercy and of God's grace to Jeroboam II, who was a, a very wicked king in Israel at the time. And he reigned a long time. He reigned for over 40 years. Jonah was there to deliver a message of mercy to this wicked and rebellious king. 
And here in this story, he is called again to share this, this message of mercy, this time to the people of Nineveh. And yet he refuses. Jonah, Jonah runs away. Scripture says that instead of going to Nineveh, as God commanded him to do, Jonah fled from Joppa to Tarshish. And I actually have a map here behind me of a, uh, this image of where he was in Joppa. He was called to go to Nineveh, and yet he boarded a ship to Tarshish. Why did he run? Why did he run? He was, he was a prophet of God. This was, this was his job. Why leave your home and head 2,500 miles in the opposite direction? Jonah was called to go east, and yet he went west. At this time, it's important for us to say, at this time, Nineveh was uh, the capital city of Assyria. Uh, and Assyria was really a, a terrorist state to the people of Israel. And this gives us at least some clue as to why Jonah might have run. Let, let me read you this very brief description of the Assyrian Empire at the time. And, and I'm going to, I'm just going to, I'm going to leave out the most brutal details. And I'll still give you enough to consider. Assyria was one of the cruelest, most violent empires of the ancient world. Assyrian kings often recorded the results of their military conquests and victories, gloating on a whole, gloating that whole plains were littered with the corpses of citizens. They would burn cities completely to the ground. Uh, one emperor is well known for depicting torture and dismemberment and decapitations of his enemy in grisly detail on large stone relief panels. Assyrian history, one writer says, is as glory as it gets. It's as glory and blood-curdling as history as we know it. After capturing their enemies, the Assyrians would often cut off their legs and one of their arms and shake the hand of those who were dying with their severed arm. I'm leaving out the gory stuff. Those who survived the Assyrians' destruction uh, were often subjected to, they, were, they, were, they had to endure the most cruel and violent forms of slavery. The Assyrians have been called a terrorist state of the ancient world. So sending Jonah into Nineveh, to put it in perspective, sending Jonah into Nineveh uh, to preach God's mercy uh, would be akin to sending a white evangelical Christian from Texas into a military camp of ISIS to preach and evangelize. Maybe just have a picture here of this ISIS camp. Try to evangelize to these guys, right? It would be akin to sending uh, a young African-American preacher from Atlanta into the heart of a KKK rally to preach mercy, right? may have an image. It's not going to end well. It's not going to end well. And so Jonah, seeking to flee from the presence of the Lord, he boards a ship headed for Tarshish. And as a result of Jonah's rebellion, as a result of his disobedience, God sends a storm, a powerful storm says in verse 4, I love this language, but, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. This is, this is God's doing. 
God is seeing his disobedience, his rebellion. And so God sends this storm upon the sea. It says there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Jonah ran from God, but God ran to Jonah. God is pursuing Jonah even through this storm. He is is running after Jonah. He's not letting Jonah go. He's following Jonah. Can anybody relate? One writer put it like this, and I love this. Every sin has a storm attached to it. Every sin has a storm attached to it. Now, don't misunderstand me. We, we talked about this a few weeks ago. Hear me out, church. Not every storm in your life, not every storm in your life is a result of sin in your life. But every sin is going to bring a storm. Every sin is going to bring a storm. It may be an internal, uh, emotional, psychological, spiritual storm. Or or it may be an actual, external, objective, visible chaos in your life. But as we run from God, as we rebel against God, the storm will chase us. You know anything about that? And yet, church, even the storm, even the storm is evidence of God's mercy. Even the storm is this gracious act of God in the life of Jonah. Even the storm is God's attempt to pursue Jonah and draw Jonah back to himself. Even the storm is a a serious act of love on God's part. Even the storm, church. One writer put it like this, one reason for storms in our life It's to get us to depend on God. It's to get us to discover his love and strengths in ways we would never otherwise do. Has anybody been there? These storms in our life, they sort of, they wake us up, as it were. They give us new eyes to see what's really going on in our heart and in our soul. John Newton says that that suffering now often prevents greater evils in your life. The greatest despair, the greatest danger of all is that we would never become aware of our blindness or of our pride or of our self-sufficiency. Sometimes it takes a storm, church. Sometimes it takes a storm to know that we need saving. Sometimes it, it takes things falling apart out there, right? Sometimes it takes, it takes things falling apart out there for us to realize things are falling apart in here. Jonah's greatest danger wasn't being swallowed alive, don't you see? His greatest, his greatest danger wasn't being swallowed alive. His greatest danger was him actually succeeding in fleeing from the presence of the Lord. That was his greatest danger. And so in love and in mercy and in great grace, God sends a storm to Jonah. Ironically, it's Jonah who's asleep during the storm, right? It's Jonah, the the prophet of the one true God, is the only guy on the boat who doesn't see the hand of God at work. 
He, he's so, at this point, he's already so far from the presence of the Lord that even the pagan sailors are praying to their gods and, and pleading for Jonah to do the same. Just say a prayer. If you believe in anything, say a prayer. Anything would work right now. But he's asleep. He's oblivious. He's completely unaware of the storm that's chasing him. He's emotionally and spiritually so far from the presence of God, he, he's, he's asleep. You know, sometimes, church, everyone around you sees the storm. Sometimes everyone around you but you sees the storm. Maybe even the non-believers in your life can see there's a storm chasing you, and yet we close our eyes to the reality of God's presence. And as it says of Jonah, we go down, 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 down. That's what it says here in Scripture, away from the presence of the Lord. You'll see this language, and it's not just in chapter 1, it's throughout the book. You see, Jonah goes down to Joppa. Jonah goes down into the ship. Jonah goes down into the innermost parts of the ship. And now this language that the writer's using, this is a very old book, the language that the writer's using uh, serves as a double meaning. Yes, it has this literal application that Jonah really went down into the boat, but the ancient language, it also provokes the idea of, of greater and greater and greater removal from the presence of God. He just keeps going down and down and down. The, the sailors decide in this moment, this terrifying moment, the sailors decide to cast lots to determine on whose account this evil has come upon them. And the lot fell on Jonah, right? The sailors asked Jonah who, who, who he was, whose he was. And ironically, Jonah responds with a, a, a type of arrogance, really. He says, I'm a Hebrew, you bunch of pagans. I, I'm, I actually serve the one true God. I fear the Lord. I fear Yahweh, the God of heaven, the God who made the sea and the dry land. And the sailors going, well, say a prayer, brother. Things are falling apart because of you. You know, as I read this passage, I'm, I'm reminded that, that sin makes us crazy, doesn't it? Sin is crazy. It's insane. We, we've become uh, masters at rationalizing our sin, but sin is utterly irrational. Sin, sin divides our minds to such an extent that even as you see here with Jonah, that on one hand, we can say that we love God, we fear God, we're going to follow God, and yet at the same exact time, we are running away from him. We are running away from what he has for us. You see how sin splits us up? And this hypocrisy is, is maddening. And the sailors acknowledged Jonah's hypocrisy. And they were afraid because Jonah had already admitted. He, he said, no, I serve the one true God. I serve the God who made the, the sea and the dry land. Uh, and yet I'm running from him. That's who I'm fleeing. And all the while this storm is raging around him. 
Finally, Jonah, admitting his guilt, offers himself to be thrown overboard uh, to quiet this storm. And, and even the sailors who are, who are actually, the, they're the ones exhibiting mercy in the story. After, after exhausting all other options, Jonah offers himself to be thrown over. And the sailors are thinking, we want to be merciful to this guy. Let's find any other way. And so they start, they start shedding the cargo. After exhausting all these other options, these merciful sailors, they finally relent. They throw Jonah overboard. It's ironic, right? The prophet of the one true God, he's not the one showing mercy. It's the pagan sailors. It's the pagan sailors who are praying to the Lord, not Jonah. It's the sailors who eventually fear Lord. It's the sailors who eventually offer sacrifices to the Lord. It's the sailors who make vows to the Lord. While the prophet of God, while Jonah, this man, he refuses mercy. He refuses to pray. He refuses, even in this moment, to ask for forgiveness. And it says in verse 17, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Sometimes we blame all, I mean, we, all the things that are going wrong in our life. All the times things are falling apart. We, 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 we're quick to blame the enemy. And yet who is the one who sovereignly, intro- who, who sent the storm? Who sent the fish? Who caused all of the, who's the active agent in this whole story? The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. One writer put it this way, as soon as Jonah hits the water, the God whom he did not trust miraculously saves him. This mysterious divine mercy that Jonah finds so inexplicable, inexplicable and offensive turns out to be his only hope. He doesn't drown. He's saved, as it were. When he wanted to end it all himself, he swallowed up. And in that prison, Jonah gets his first insights into the meaning and the wonder of God's mercy. Even the fish, even the fish is a great mercy. Let me ask you, church, are you running away this morning? Are you being chased by a storm? Or maybe, maybe you're like Jonah. Are you a, a highly partisan nationalist who can't conceive of God's mercy to the wicked, to the cruel, to the other, whoever that other might be? In what ways, church, in what ways is your love shown to go beyond your ethnicity? or your economic status, or your nationality, or your religion, in what way does your love go beyond those things for you? Are you moving towards God's presence this morning? Are you moving towards His mercy? Or are you going down, 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 down? He started off so so great, right? He was Jonah, he was the prophet, he was the one who had a stage with the king. Now he's going down, 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 away from the presence of the Lord. And yet, there's hope even for Jonah. And there's hope even for you, church. In the Gospel of Matthew, 
Jesus says this, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man, you see what Jesus is doing here? So the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they responded at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus is the greater Jonah. You see how these stories parallel one another. Jesus himself parallels his story with that of Jonah by way of contrast. Jonah was called to share mercy to a merciless people. He was called to, a, uh, to go and to share with a different kind of people than himself. A people facing imminent judgment by God. And he runs away. He runs away. Jesus, Jesus was called to share mercy with a merciless people. Jesus was called to a very different kind of person than himself, to a, to a people facing imminent judgment by God. And yet Jesus, he became flesh. He dwelt among his people. He lived among his people. He threw himself into the dark sea of sin while the, while the waves of God's wrath crushed him instead of crushing us. He showed mercy to those who were not merciful to him. Jonah's rebellion, you see what this does here. As we read this story, Jonah's rebellion, even as we read it, we're just going, Jonah, what are you thinking? His rebellion, the story of his rebellion, it reveals our longing for Jesus' obedience. We need something greater than Jonah. Christian writer John Stott wrote this. I thought this was a beautiful way to put it. He says, the essence of sin, hear this, church. The essence of sin is man substituting himself for God. There's, there's nothing more human than wanting to be God. The essence of sin is man substituting himself for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for us. Man asserts himself against God and puts himself only where God deserves to be in our idolatry and our rebellion. And yet God in his mercy sacrifices himself for man and puts himself where only man deserves to be. There is hope in the gospel this morning. You may feel like you're in the belly of a terrifying beast. You may have a storm chasing you this morning. Look to Jesus. Look to the greater Jonah. Look to him this morning. Run back to him, church. Go where he's calling you. Where is he calling you? What hard things is he asking of you? Hear hear his whisper. Hear his voice. See his mercy even in the storm. Look to him this morning.